Fandom is short for fanatic, and we were that was on full display Saturday during North Carolina NC State. We're going to talk about some highs, lows, and maybe some free throws in between. All that went down during this rivalry game, and more importantly, why Virginia is still on top, in my opinion, of the ACC. You are Locked On ACC, your daily podcast on the Atlantic Coast Conference, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to today's edition of Locked On ACC. I'm your host, Candace Cooper, joined by Kenton Gibbs of Locked On Wolfpack. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster and for free. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. Terms and conditions do apply. We're rocking and rolling. Kenton gives up a good weekend Saturday and Sunday. We had a lot of great basketball matchups, and it was very high intensity, high energy, and all things in between during some of those games. And we're going to talk about all of those. But first, how are you, friend? I'm I'm living. I'm living. I'm all right. You know what I mean? I'm above six feet, so that's that's all that matters to me. I am I am good and still drawing breath, fresh air. So that's it's a win. A win is a win. A win is a win, and you know I think that was the pretty much the conversation out of North Car- out of Chapel Hill, I should say. North Carolina faced NC State and beat them eighty to sixty nine, but the score wasn't really reflective of how the back and forth game went. It was more so the highs and lows of emotions that seemed to take place. We'll start by this: we all, if you did not see Terquavion Smith go down with a neck and elbow injury, they had to bring the stretcher out. He was carted off and taken to the local hospital. We are happy. To report that he is doing well he is home he tweeted out that he is fine and appreciated all of the thoughts and prayers so first things first glad to see we've seen a lot of that go down in sports recently of people having to be taken away on stretchers it's never a good scene but thankfully you know it came out with a okay you know outcome absolutely it was very unfortunate to see and it was very unfortunate like you said fan is short for fanatic very Unfortunate to see the reaction to the ejection after that, um, because I was very confused as to why anybody would say like, oh, a player is being carried out on a stretcher after contact to his neck or head area. And that player who did the contact is being ejected, why there was any type of reaction to that whatsoever. Because, I mean, I think that we would all agree there's no world in which you see that type of play and you say to yourself, oh, yeah, that's a perfectly reasonable basketball play. Well, I think if you look at it in slow-mo, we can respectfully disagree. I think that he was going for the ball. He hit him in the head. Leaky Black, the person who committed the foul, flagrant two, ejected from the game. I'm all about intentionality. I don't think it was a dirty play. I don't think he did it on purpose to maliciously try and take out Dracravion Smith. But you know what happened. And the reality of the situation is the refs called it flagrant two and you're you're gone. You know, I think that the boos were unnecessary, of course. But I think that when you look at it from a – it's all about how your POV is, right? Like I'm not going to boo because I'm not that passionate enough about any Carolina athletics where I think I think it's like in poor taste. But that's not that's not my my story is not everybody's story, right? And I I can just agree with thinking that it was a flagrant two foul, but at the same time I understand why it had to be so. You know, I think multiple things can be true. I mean, I here's the thing: I will say that I don't think that there was intentionality to hurt him. I don't think that that was the case. Absolutely, yeah. I'll give you that. I don't think that there was like 
you know, an intentionality about, oh, I'm going to get him out of the game. Not at all. Right. Yeah. However, that is not necessary. Like, it, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I don't believe that a flagrant two is solely dictated by the intention. Like, I yeah. think the actual action and acts that occurred on that play, regardless of what the, the intent there was, again, you've got contact to a player's head and neck area yeah. while they're midair, and they take a very nasty and dangerous spill because of that. To me, again, I don't see how, and I, I think that we both agree, that any type of reaction to that beyond like, oh, we hope that kid is okay, any booing of a player being ejected in that situation is beyond in poor taste to me. But I think uh, two things can be true. But I think two can be two things can be true. Sorry to cut you off. I think the people were bad for booing, but I also think nobody nobody, especially from say, acknowledged that people did pause, clap for Dequavion Smith, thoughts and prayers. People were praying and all the things. So I think when you're heated and you're already upset, you're immediately gonna look at the most negative thing possible, right? You're not gonna say, okay, well they did clap, they did make sure he was okay. I do I can also say the booing was bad. But if I never even acknowledge the good, it's like, but what POV are you really coming from, right? If you're only, that, that to me says you're only looking for bad things. Well, then the question becomes, I mean, it's it's almost as if a situation where at the end of the day, in most things in life, when you do what is expected of you, it's the old saying of, um, am I going to reward a, a fish for swimming, right? Like, am I going to reward you for being a decent human being here as opposed to, um, you know, chastising those who did not and that's that's what that question comes down to and of course there's the even online when we talk about things that happen and phenomena that go viral and all that there will always be a loud minority who has a take that is just like wait what but the question there are a couple questions to be raised there number one was it a minority was it just a small group of people that were booing or was it a good amount of the fan base to where it is like, hold on now, there's enough of these fans to where that is a significant problem that needs to be discussed as know. opposed to, you know, again, am I going to applaud a fish for swimming in that congratulations, you were decent people. And like when you did not know what was going on with another human being on a stretcher, you did not boo because your player was ejected. Like, but I also think like, let's be honest. Let's be honest with ourselves too. Rivalry renewed, right? I'm I'm going to be perfectly frank here. I don't see people in Raleigh not booing a situation where they're all clapping and everyone's doing like the hokey pokey. Like I don't, I think it's based on fandom, fan, fanatism, whatever, excuse me, verb, it's whatever adjective, correct term there is. I think that when people are in the heat of the moment, I have seen ugly on both sides. So I, I, we can't sit here and say, oh, your class is over here. Oh, you're respectful over here. I don't think that, that that's fair. Again, I, from what I have seen, I am yes not. Or, but yes or no. Do you, do you think that in fandom, there is people try and draw these lines of class listening, whether there is, you know, good things happening, bad things happening. We're not about to sit here and pretend, right, that it's all kosher on but one side, right? Absolutely. There okay. again, there okay. is, I, I just I just want to make sure we're having very clear. Again, there is there will always be the question of how much of your fan base is it? There, there's always that question. And even beyond that, even the things surrounding it in terms of people posting a, a picture of Terquaven out at the club two weeks ago as if it was tonight and somehow being like, oh, 
that or last yeah, night. But again, I think, like, we're, oh, I think you're going down time, rabbit right? holes. I think you're going down rabbit holes. I think people can do that on both sides. I think people can be disgusting and ugly on both sides. I think that's what rivalry is. It sucks. And, it's and not good. Point, if you can point out when somebody was that disgusting, watching somebody be taken out on a stretcher and booing on the other side, then absolutely there's an argument there for that. Okay. But if there's nothing in that realm of like, oh, okay, that it, is. In, it's naive to say that that's never happened. It really is. Like, respectfully, it's naive to say like things of it, NC State fans have never been ugly and gross. It's again, again, I'm, I am, I am right here with you. Trust me. Like we've already discussed, <laughs> fan is short for fanatic. Find me a UNC player being taken out on a stretcher and somebody. Yeah, but it doesn't in, have to see that's if you want to go apple for apple when there have been other scenarios for UNC that have shown ugly sides of NC State. There again, can, we can, we can do it. We can do I'm, it. I'm asking anything. But I don't have level. to live. I don't have to live on, you know, message boards to like, you know, to see Any, it. And so what I'm saying okay. is anything to that level or beyond, I'm with you. Anything okay. to that level or beyond. If you're like, oh, yeah, this this moment comes to mind instantly. Because this is one of those things that you kind of like, that's kind of going to be etched in your memory for a little bit. Like as much ridiculousness as we see in sports, there are moments that kind of like, you're like, wait, what just happened? And this right. is one of those that, that kind of gets etched in your mind is like, was there a good chunk of the crowd booing that ejection? Oh, no, no. We we just... I, I honestly, I hear you. I think it all ultimately boils down to POV. I think that, you know, if you look at it from whatever, if you are not objective to it or not, what is, if you're subjective, you're not going to find a positive outlook or anything wrong about, you know, the opponent. You're always going to say the opponent is bad. Like, that's just what I think when it comes to rivalries. I think if you want to find the bad in somebody, if you want to say like negative things, if that's what your heart is set on, it doesn't matter what they do good or in between, like, you're dead set on being like, oh, these fans are this way, and they act like this way. Like, that's just, that's my opinion. I mean, absolutely, absolutely. And you could point to the moment of um, uh, Armando Baycott wearing the shades and all that and, and saying the first thing that he said was, you know, I hope Dequavion is all right, and I hope that, um, you know, he, he is healthy and fine. But, again, there's still the the – the bias in pointing that out by itself without also pointing out, oh, he also did the first thing that he said was hoping that Traquavion was okay. So yeah, you're right that there is, you know, folks spinning narratives. And, and like I said, narratives are being spun and it is not just a, like I said, with the whole, oh, picture him out at the club. When was the picture taken or um, Baycott wearing the shades and and what was the first thing he said? What, what did he not say about Traquavion, whatever the case may be? There's narrative being spun on both sides, but and in talking about the actual play in which he was hurt and the reaction to it, that was something unlike what I have seen. But people reacted that. to the ejection; they did not react to the play or the person's injury, and I think that's a stark difference, and that has to be said. I, and, like uh, I think the booing sucks. The booing sucks. But there is a difference that even you saying that now is painting the narrative of people saw that man go down and just were like, boo, and really upset. Like, it has to be a little more defined than that. And again, so in saying they booed the reaction to or they booed the the reaction of the flagrant to to the actual play, even still, I'm looking at a moment where you see that somebody was taken out on a stretcher due to an act to their head, head or neck area in the air that caused them to take a very nasty spill that all of us would look at and say, if you have children or even yourself would not want to take that type of spill, 
if you're going to look at that and say, I wouldn't want myself, my kids, my family taking that kind of spill and head or neck was head or neck. Um, it, it, there was a, a blow to the head or neck administered that caused that. And you're going to say, I don't feel like that was a flagrant two. That is by the definition what a flagrant two is. And that's, that is what is like, why are we even booing here? Because even if you think that it was a, even if you're like, oh, to Craven is okay. And I know he's going to be okay. It's still a very clear, like that is it by definition. But you're and, asking fans to be sensible in a moment. Like and come somebody come was on. taking out on the stretcher. That, that is you're asking happened. people to be sensible in a moment of fandom. Like, and again, you're asking too much of people and I agree to disagree. All right, guys, as we're talking about small business owners or hiring managers, you know that success in 2023 all depends on the team members you surround yourself with. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs, you can hire qualified candidates more efficiently by matching open roles and people who have the skills, values, and experiences to help you achieve your goals. LinkedIn Jobs makes it easy to screen and rate applicants based on your job qualifications all in one platform. That's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires at first leading competitors. LinkedIn jobs, finding those candidates faster. Go to LinkedIn, linkedin.com slash locked on college for more details, terms, and conditions do apply. So the positives that happened during that UNC at North Carolina game, Armando Baycott became Mr. Boardman himself, beating out Tyler Hansborough for the most ever boards for a UNC player, which is outstanding considering Tyler Hansborough is arguably one of the best collegiate players of all time. Argue with your mama, do whatever you got to do. But it just also says, like, listen, in order to get those types of records, you got to say for all four years, which Armando has done. And, you know, this will be, of course, his last year because he was the man of the game. At the end of the day, as much as you tried your best, stopping Armando was just not happening. And I think that while I did want to see more driving from RJ and Caleb, it was, hey, let's just throw it out there because we are we know Armando is going to be down, down in the front court. And it's kind of like Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, right? Like, I'm just going to throw it up. I know eventually he's going to get to Travis somehow, some way. And that certainly was the case for Armando as he put up 23 points on top of his eight rebounds for the evening. That is very interesting. And he did do a great job on the boards. Like you said, 23 and 18, absolutely astounding. And as I said before the game, the key for NC State was containing him. They did a poor job of doing so. He is the all-time board man at UNC. But one thing that I think is interesting, he wasn't the leading scorer for UNC in this game. That belonged to R.J. Davis. Now, R.J. Davis got to those 26 points while only shooting eight shots from the field according to what was taken um, in total, because the rest of the shots from the field were counted as fouls. R.J. Davis alone shot more free throws than the entire NC State team. There is something very, very, very bad going on there, because like a lot of people are talking about the fact that UNC shot three times more um, free throws than NC State in this game. I... In watching that game, I am very disappointed with that officiating. And the, the there is a very serious question to be raised there about if you are calling it straight up and down when players are going to the rim and getting fouled. Because here's the thing. I agree that a good chunk of NC State's fouls were absolutely fouls. But to only call those fouls in one direction is problematic to me because then that kind of emboldens players to make plays like the one that ended with Terquavian on the stretcher. And I'm not saying that this is a, a, 
I'm not saying that this is a situation of, um, oh, this is NC State lost and there's there must be a reason. Any game that I see that is physical like that and on both sides, of course, in the rivalry game, that's how it goes. And you see that discrepancy in free throws and that discrepancy in personal fouls. There must be something raised, especially when you watch Duke play earlier in a game that was extremely physical, but the refs let all teams play there. And then you see a bunch of ticky tack fouls being called in game two, particularly on one team. It's very, very questionable and problematic to say the least. Well, you know, I think with Miami Duke, as we'll touch on that win for the Blue Devils, it's a different era. Personally, I feel like Coach K was the one that always got the calls and always got the fouls. And so there was a lot of blown, like the whistle happy refs certainly lived in Cameron. So I think that was a whole different scenario. I thoroughly enjoyed watching Miami and Duke because you had to earn every bucket. And listen, par for the course, you're going to have bad officiating nights. You're going to have off officiating nights. Did they shoot too much? Sure. Were there too many free throws? Yes. Does that happen? Has it happened for Keats who said that never happened to him? It has. So I think it's just very interesting to me. Like at the end of the day, we just call a spade a spade. Poorly officiated game. It doesn't have to be Carolina gets paid for this. Carolina's a grandiose. No, we could just say it was a poorly officiated game. Full stop. It was a poorly officiated game, but that poor officiating definitely benefited one team more than the other in this 100%, game. A hundred percent, but that's not a reflection of who Carolina has been this whole season. Absolutely. And it was a close, like, even with all the things that were going Carolina's way, NC State very much had an opportunity to win this game. And arguably, had Scravion not gone out, may have won this game. Right? Absolutely. So- Absolutely. But again, we're looking at an 11-point game in which one team shot 27 more free throws. Like, that is... 100% agree. I'm you know, not denying. Again, I'm 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 not one of those people that says the first thing is on the ref. And again, coach Keats needs to draw up some offense for these players. And again, drawing up offense is important for just the reason and and here's where I get away from the refs here and here's where I talk about NC State. Coach Keats needs to draw up an offense that is is it works regardless of if I have a player who I can roll the ball out to and say, "Hey, I've got 8 seconds left. Go get me a bucket." Because of what we saw in terms of Tequavian getting hurt. You never want to be in a spot where you are stuck with this player or my players have to make big plays in isolation in order to keep us in the game and in order to win the game. Because the reality is that's never going to work for you if you're not getting the five stars, the guys who are going to the NBA next year, all that you're not going to win a lot of games and especially when you're in a position like state where you're counting on one guy who's going to the league, who's going to be playing uh, probably big minutes in the next two, three years for somebody in the NBA in terms of Traquavion Smith. Because again, if he goes down, then what does your offense become? Because it was predominant. It was so he dominate the ball heavy. So yes, NC state. Absolutely. There were many things that NC state could have done better. Absolutely. No ifs, ands or buts about it. However, to say that, you know, there is no it's it's hard to say that the the refs and the officiating had anything to do with the final outcome. To me, that is delusion at its finest. When you look at a game that was as close as it was and that big of a discrepancy. And if you actually watch the game, which I know you did, which I know a lot of our listeners did. If you actually watch the game and see some of the plays where you see. Uh, players from one team going to the basket and put on the ground hard. And you're like, all right, cool. There's going to be a whistle there. And there is not. 
And then on the other end, there's a risk. But, on the side okay, but, there's, but, sure, but there were issues from both sides, right? Caleb Love didn't knock himself in the nose and have a nosebleed, right? Like, what? I think there was it was a hard playing collectively. It was BS a little more for one than the other. Wholeheartedly agree. Nobody's denying that. But like I said, the man didn't get a nosebleed by himself. He didn't get a hard elbow by himself. Absolutely. And that's what I'm saying. This is not a situation where I'm saying state was not following. That's not what I'm saying here. Okay. What I, what I am saying here is if you're going to call it tight, call it tight both ways. If you're going to let them play, let both teams play. But don't have it a situation where one player is shooting 14 free throws on one end and on the other end, you're having to ask yourself, do we want to call a foul when the player is on the stretcher? That's that is outlandish. I hear you. And we tabled this conversation. Can't wait till this goes down in Raleigh. Maybe they'll do a different outcome. Stay tuned, friends, on this episode of Locked on ACC. No, I'm just joking. But anyway, we got to talk about some other games because there were some good ones that happened throughout the weekend. Duke took on Miami and beat the number 17 team in the country, 68 to 66. Whew, if we needed a vitamin C Ivy pack for my boy Isaiah Wong, it wasn't until the fourth, the second half that we saw him get busy and it just wasn't quite enough. But your man. Your man that you couldn't pronounce on Saturday. He ended up coming through clutch for the boys in orange and green. And I was just sitting there and saying, like, it was right there for Miami. It's tough to lose in Cameron, though. You know, at the end of the day, I said that the key to this game for Miami was doing what? Starting fast. The key to this game for Miami was starting fast, putting Duke in a position to where, again, you're never going to shut up the crazies. You're never going to shut up the Cameron crazies. That is not on the table. That's not an option. But potentially having them be less loud than what they were, yeah, it, it, it's, it's on the table. That's a possibility. Right. Miami was wholly unable to do that. Wholly and totally unable to do that. They came out from the beginning of this game forward not playing like a team that was saying, if we get up enough or if we put our foot on their neck, we know that the second half is ours. They did not play in that type of manner. They didn't right. play with that type of urgency out the gate. And I know that some people are looking at this saying, Ken, it was a back and forth game out the gate. Yeah, sure. But I think that Miami is a, a good – I think that they're a good amount better than Duke to where yeah. you should not – that game should not be um, neck and neck, back and forth, and yet it was. And like you talked about, Miami's big man – he showed up, he did his thing. Wong showed up, did his thing in the second half. But again, if you show up earlier, Wong, if you show up earlier, all the guys that are needed, and even with Wong showing up in the second half, it still wasn't nearly what is expected of him. If they show up when they're needed, you're looking at a very different game than what we actually saw. So credit to Duke, credit to Filipowski, credit to the guys, because they did what they were supposed to do. Credit to Jeremy Roach for coming up big in this game as well. Huge. Because at the end of the day, this was a physical game. This was a knockdown, drag-out game. And Miami being a second-half team and not winning the second half, credit to Duke. Credit to Duke. Credit to Duke for not letting them get out to a lead early and credit to them also for knowing when it's winning time, despite their record in close games, despite how they play in the second half, we got something for them. 
I know for Jeremy Roach, he's been back and forth with his injuries, but it was just very, you know, telling and how essential he is going to be needed for the postseason for them to have any sort of run, just to have the energy of what he could do, how he creates the offense, how he's able to facilitate it. He is a critical component for how do you know ebbs and flows. And I know we talk a lot about that with Isaiah Wong, but Jeremy Roach is almost right there with, you know, the Duke Blue Devils in terms of how he leads that team. Other games to touch on Syracuse. Took down Georgia Tech 80 to 63. Boston College beat Notre Dame at home 84 to 72. Florida State took care of Pitt 71 to 64. You also had Clemson come in clutch, beating Virginia Tech 51 to 50. My Lord, you want to talk about some heart palpable, whatever. I wanted to watch my Giants and Eagles, and I just I thankful thankful for Hunter Tyson who said, I don't want you to go into overtime. I don't want to go into overtime because Candace, I know you have to watch this game. So I was very appreciative of him. I just knew he was doing that for your girl. But a bigger game to watch of the weekend, Virginia and Wake Forest. Virginia headed down to Winston-Salem and the Demon Deacons weren't able to defend the Joel, but I think it was one of the situations where Virginia is just letting y'all and reminding y'all how good they are with foul trouble from Kihei Clark, with foul trouble from uh, Mr. Beekman. I think that it was just critical for them to still stamp their point of being an offensively sound team. And damn it, if they didn't make them threes, like it was freaking hot butter biscuits. It was raining in Winston-Salem on Saturday. I, I think that, you know, this Virginia team – is your standard Virginia team in that you don't know where the offense is going to come from on a given night. I mean, everybody talks about McNeely being good in the future and how, you know, McNeely is going to be the future of this program and all that. He was their third leading scorer on the night, despite coming off the bench and not even being the bench player with the most minutes in this game. Um, you look at, like you talked about, Kihei Clark having foul trouble and all that good stuff. But then you got Franklin showing up with a huge, a huge 25 and 10 double double in this game. Gun shooting threes out though. Where did that even come from? Only had shot like three threes of his whole freaking time at Virginia. And all of a sudden he was making them like it was water. I'm like, okay, like this is just not even fun anymore for the, the Demon Deacons. And and of course, the the Demon Deacons with with their, you know, with their main core of guys in terms of Appleby and Monsanto and Hildreth, they went off. But the other guys did not get theirs, and that was the problem. And that's kind of what the pack line defense does, right, or the back line defense, however you pronounce it. That's what Virginia's defense does. You're very talented scorers. They're having a good night. They're going to get off, but the other guys won't. And that's, and I think that's what it counts on. 100% agree. I also think Monsanto had the moments where either he is just magnificent or he get, makes you want to pluck your eyebrows out. And yeah. it was one of those games where he was shooting and you're like, bro, huh? What was the thought process behind that shot? But, you know, he's kind of like Caleb Love in the sense of like you live by him, you die by him because he makes some clutch opportunities and he got them within like I think five at one point. And you're just like, okay, we'll just do more of that. But I am I am all for fundamentals. I am all for running plays and trying to see how things, you know, pan out. And unfortunately just didn't go Demon Deacon's way. But that's still why my argument of Virginia being the best team in the ACC, like don't – not don't sleep on Virginia. That's all I'm telling everybody. When you get to this ACC tournament, you see Tony Bennett and how they get into that, you know, AAU style of having to play night in, night out and figuring out ways to win. When you have offense that's facilitating from every side of the, you know, roster, it's a scary sight. That's a scary, dangerous sight. And again, when you're looking at a team that is, they're just a team that they can come at you from multiple ways, not only in terms of the different players who can score, but they're different ways of generating offense. Sometimes in the half court, Kihei Clark is going to 
he's going to have everybody on pace. He's going to be the, the ultimate consummate floor general and get everybody moving. But at times you're going to see some guys kind of run some ISO ball on you and, and figure out how to get a bucket because I'm going to tell you what, Armand is looking good in that role a little bit. And then, of course, the biggest thing that that pack line defense does forces you into long shots and turnovers. And those two things, when they get to running, when they get to moving in that fast break, you know, it's it's so long and good night if they got the right guys finishing. And, and in this game in particular, Armand Franklin was the right, right guy to finish. <laughs> we, what a Hildreth was the white guy to finish. But that's neither here nor there. That's neither. We're not talking about that right now, folks. And you know what's funny? I was going to say my melanin deficient friends because I love to say that. And one person on YouTube one time commented, like, we got some melanin. We just we don't have as much as you. And I was like, you know what? That's right. I'm going to say melanin deficient instead of melanin absent friends. Again, so. again, you know, we, <laughs> we we talked about McNeely and Hildreth. Those are the white guys to finish. Vanderposs, 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 those Vilipowski. are We talked about the white guys to finish. We're, we're, <laughs> in, in particular, we're talking about in transition, and and you know we're what, we're, we're, we're equal opportunists on the equal opportunists equal opportunists. We're equal opportunity. We don't care black, white, yellow. Get the green, bucket. Avatar blue. If you can put it <laughs> in the rim, that's what matters to us here. Period. Locked on ACC. Period. And that's a great way to end this show. It's always a pleasure to have conversations with you, Kenton. And I know we got to have you back because, you know, we didn't get to touch on in full depth of our women's programs, but I, I got to give us a whole show for that because I don't want to give us just a couple of minutes. So make sure you guys come back tomorrow. We'll touch on the Sunday matchups for the women as well as preview some of the games that are happening for the men. There's a lot going on for ACC basketball. Don't miss out on it. But if you want to hear more about basketball in general, head to Locked On College Basketball. Has a great show and opportunity to learn more about what's going on around the country. So as you prep for NCAA tournament, you're trying to figure out how our ACC teams are going to fare, you know by following Locked On College Basketball or wherever you want to listen to some podcasts, Locked On Podcast Network has it all for you. For Candace Cooper and Kenton Gibbs, until next time.